Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. This is Jenny McMahon. I'm an Associate Professor of Philosophy at the University of Adelaide. I visit Melbourne very regularly. In fact, I'm originally from Melbourne. And when I'm in Melbourne, I really enjoy listening to 3CR. Also, 30 years ago, I used to actually come on to 3CR as an art reviewer for a Saturday afternoon cultural program. So it's wonderful to know that 3CR is still thriving. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Midgley, Caputi, Adams, Stewart, Wolf, and Hagen Gruber. Let's get radical about philosophy. I'm Bridget Evans and you're listening to Radical Philosophy on 3CR Community Radio, 855 on your AM dial. Pornography is the undiluted essence of anti-female propaganda. Susan Brown Miller, Against Our Will, Men, Women and Rape, 1975. Welcome to Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. And I'm speaking to Liz Walker about Porn Harms Kids. Welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So uh, my my role at Porn Harms Kids is, is chair leading the organisation. It's a uh, non-profit registered charity and our mandate is health promotion. So what we are actually looking at is the impact of pornography on children and young people and addressing the easy access of pornography and the impacts that that's having on young people's development and understanding of themselves. So that's something that's not been done before in Australia, but certainly worthy of attention and you know community support. What would your definition of pornography be? Well, see, that's where uh, a lot of people are totally unaware, unless, of course, they're watching it online already. But pornography is not what we used to find underneath the bed in the magazine or, uh, you know, tucked away. What it used to be defined as is sexually explicit media primarily intended to sexually arouse the audience. So that's a fairly benign definition, though, now. And when we look at things like music videos and some forms of advertising, obviously that very simple definition fits into that category because it encompasses what we would refer to as softcore pornography. But what we know now with online pornography access is the majority of it is hardcore pornography. So whilst some will still be softcore and on the other extreme we've got extreme fetishes and what we refer to as a snuff porn where there's actually people being depicted as as dying in in uh, sexualized media, hardcore pornography is that main content that's available mainstream on most porn sites. The definition for that is illegal, unclassified, gonzo, or hardcore triple X 
free online material that depicts individuals or groups engaging in sexual behaviours where inequality between the parties is clear, violence is observed or audible, where degradation, humiliation, punishment and extreme submission appear to be the general objective of the power dynamics or behaviour depicted. Now that's, that's a very heavy definition but what we know is about 90% of scenes in mainstream hardcore pornography contain some form of violence against, and mainly against women, but certainly those imbalanced power dynamics. What was it that inspired you to get involved with Porn Harms Kids? Look, my I guess my initial inspiration, if you, if you want to call it that, was my exposure to pornography at a very young age, which at the time I processed as, as being quite hardcore at the age of six, seeing it in a magazine on a school bus. And, and for the time it was quite graphic, this content, but that led me into a whole realm of problem sexualized behaviours, what I now know to be, and led me down a trajectory that I don't believe that I would have taken otherwise. So Knowing how readily available online pornography is now is really concerning to me. And so for me to be involved in Porn Harms Kids and addressing the ease of access for children and young people is a really, it's a really targeted journey. It's, it's like I do not want any young person to process pornography in that way but unfortunately I know that some will not all of course but some will so for me it's very much about child protection and giving young people an opportunity to have a a safe online experience without the influence of ease of access. Now I'll just run through the five myths about online pornography age verification How do age verification measures for pornography benefit children? Okay, so what we know about age verification measures or the proposed age verification measures uh, for the UK just been announced in their legislation and what what they're doing in the UK is by April 2018 implementing age verifications for porn sites so what we basically know is users will any any user who wants to access an adult site and that may be a porn site or it may be you know they might want to purchase alcohol or they might want to do online gambling any number of adult activities that would require some form of verification will be carried out through a third-party verifier and so that third-party verifier will seek identifying information to determine that the user is over 18 years of age and, and they will then end up with potentially what could be referred to as a digital ID so that when they go to various sites that don't require any other identifying information, such as credit cards, that they can just enter their digital ID. The porn site, for instance, won't know who that person is because all they know is, does, can this person prove that they're over the age of 18? So I, I guess one of the myths around age verification is that porn sites will be seeking users' credit card details. And to that I say, if you give your credit card details 
to a porn site, that's uh, a pretty foolish thing to do. Is Australia under pressure to force porn sites to introduce age verification? It's certainly one of the things that porn harms kids is asking of the government and pressuring the government to consider. We're looking at a a range of digital child protection buffers to implement for uh, children's safety because there is no one silver bullet that's going to fix it. But what we can presume that the more avenues that we implement spaces that create a safe online environment, the more likely children will be safer in their digital interactions. So at the moment, we don't know how the Australian government will respond. They have a consultative working group that's been formed through the eSafety office that is looking at these issues, but they've certainly made no indication that this is something that they are willing to implement. All we know is that they are looking closely at how this rolls out in the UK I guess, seeing does it work, how does it apply in the context of Australia and and I guess they will be, you know, watching closely to see how it unfolds. What are the seven harmful things watching porn can do to your child? Well, look, it's, it's really hard to define them right down into seven areas but we have tried to, to pinpoint that... Early exposure to pornography for children and young people in and of itself could be considered sexual abuse. So what we know is that prior to the internet, a young person would only ever be exposed to the sorts of things that they see in pornography if they were sexually abused themselves. And what we know is a percentage of young people who see this content will actually process it as trauma. So that's one way. It grooms children to be at risk for both online and offline exploitation. So it really uh, normalises those behaviours that place them at risk as being a sexual victim. Unfortunately, it's also being used as a how-to manual for engaging in sexually abusive and or violent behaviours towards other children. And we've seen that come out in the news quite a bit of late, particularly with the rise in child-on-child sexual abuse happening in schools. And Dr Joe Tucci from the Australian Childhood Foundation puts that down to the ease of access to pornography, saying that when he first started the clinic, you know, 20 years ago, there was almost no children that were coming in displaying child-on-child sexual abuse that was specifically related to pornography. Most of the time it was due to abuse in the home. And that trend has totally turned around the fourth area is that child and adolescent brains are still in development and therefore most vulnerable to addiction. We know that children's brains are very malleable, so to see content that's highly arousing and you know for those that go back and look for more, it does make them at risk for addiction. Uh, it can distort their sense of self and sexuality, so the way that they think about themselves whether they view themselves as a sexual object or whether they view themselves as participating in these porn scenes. So it can also, in in the general sense, toxic porn culture normalises sexism, objectification and exploitation amongst young people. And one of the ways that we're seeing that play out quite considerably 
is in the rise of sending and receiving sex messages. So online nudes are very much normalised in the adult world, so therefore it's seen as a normal behaviour, even though that's placing them very much at risk of not only online predators, but the emotional implications of sexting when that image reaches beyond where they initially intended it for. And it's also, porn use is also linked to poor mental health conditions. Now, it's a little uncertain as to what comes first or whether, uh, you know, porn actually causes mental health addictions or if it perpetuates mental health conditions or a combination of both. But what we know is that it's linked to higher incidences of depressive symptoms, less capacity for social integration, so, you know, that isolation behaviour, decreased emotional bonding with caregivers, increases in conduct problems and higher levels of delinquent behaviour. So there's all those mental health implications as well. So it's really quite broad the way that pornography can impact young people. You're listening to Radical Philosophy on Radio 3CR, 855 on your AM dial. And I'm speaking to Liz Walker about how pornography harms kids. And how can we prevent this? Look, we know that young people will respond to pornography in different ways. Not every single child is going to be impacted in the same way. Some of them will see it and bounce straight off it and go, you know what, that's not for me, I'm not interested. Others will see it and go, that's something, if if that's sex, then I never want to have sex, which I've certainly heard reports back in the classroom. So the kids that are going to absorb that and think that that is normal behaviour, as in pornography normalises harmful behaviours. So it's about building resilience and resistance in young people, firstly, through really good connections in the home. So we know that young people who are well-connected in the home environment have a really good sense of who they are and have a sense of value and worth in and of themselves, that have open communication with parents, can often have more resilience to porn and porn culture. So it's about not only building those strong connections in the home, but then also talking about sex and sexuality and pornography and answering their questions likely before they they even want to ask them. So if we make conversation around bodies and bound personal safety and public and private behaviours and, you know, the types of positive touch that we want for them in their life, if we normalise normalize those types of conversations very early on, they'll know that parents or caregivers are the first point of contact to ask any questions. So we want to create those open spaces for communication and certainly be there if let them know they're not in trouble if they ever see anything, but that they can come and ask absolutely anything. Look at can be quite difficult for some parents to speak about porn with their children. So what would you say is the best way to go about this? Look, the first thing is to really get educated yourself. Listeners can start on the pornharmskids.org.au website 
and start to read up on some of the research and some of the ways that pornography is impacting young people's worlds, the reality is it's, it's available at the click of a button. So aside from home apps and filters, even parents with the best intentions locking down their devices, they're still going to need to have these conversations because it's being discussed in the playground, it's being talked about amongst their peers, their, their cousins can come over or family, friends and, and show them on their devices that aren't locked down. So the reality is it's not a matter of if our kids see porn, it's when. So the, the really important thing is to get educated about how easily accessible it is. And also the other resource that I strongly recommend is culturereframed.org. And in culture Ref on the Culture Reframed website, there's a parents program tab that parents can go to and there's a lots of information for parents of children and parents of teens. And there's also an excellent model that we've put together. My other role, aside from Chair of Porn Harms Kids, is uh, Director of Health Education for, for Culture Reframed. So we've put together a model to help parents respond well when they discover their young person has viewed pornography. And that's called Compose Yourself. Because, you know, for some parents, when they find out their child has looked at porn, and it could be their six-year-old or it could be their 15-year-old and they've just found out that they've been watching porn for six months and they've really got some issues with it. The first thing that parents can do or is certainly reported back to us is one of the first things that parents tend to do is, is, is react and react quite strongly. So the Compose Yourself model is all about taking that deep breath and working through some steps and the first one being calm, <laughs> being calm in the conversation and purposefully stepping through the conversation and finding out information about what's actually happened and checking in with your child and their emotions, all, all very practical steps to say, okay, this is how I can step through this conversation so that I'm not generating any unnecessary shame, that I'm placing the blame where it should be, and that is right back on the porn industry that has totally hijacked our kids' sexuality and putting some real, really clear strategies in depending on how this has impacted their child. So there, there are a few practical steps that parents can do. I think you touched on this before, but what does porn do to a kid's brain? Well, look, again, it does depend individually on the child. It will depend on their age and stage of development, what we, what we know is that kids who see pornography younger uh, are more likely to have an adverse reaction to it because they're not developmentally ready for it. It's, it's too much information for that age and stage of development. But also it can depend on, you know, they might see it when they're a bit older with friends and, and it could all be a bit of a joke or they could see it alone, home and isolated in their bedroom. So... It depends on how they interact with the content as to then how it's going to interact with their with their brain. But unfortunately, what we do know now is that kids who have been watching pornography for a number of years now, this doesn't matter whether they started at 8, 10, 12, 16, if they continually watch pornography and it becomes a habitual habit, 
what we know is, particularly for young men, that it's rewiring their brain to what they see on the screen. And in practical terms, this can often play out in porn-induced erectile dysfunction, meaning that a user will only then be able to be aroused to the content that they're seeing on the screen. I'll give you a really practical example of this. I was working with some young people the other day, young adults, aged from 16 to about 19. And uh, I was talking to them about porn-induced erectile dysfunction. And this young woman who was really quite enjoying her porn and with her partner came up to me and she said, so my partner hasn't been able to get an erection with me during sex and he has to use porn to finish off and we've gone to the doctor and the doctor's given him some pills and they're not working. So are you saying it could be porn-induced erectile dysfunction? And I said, yes, actually that's exactly what I'm saying. So what is happening is a person is gearing their brain towards what they're seeing on the screen and they're switching off to that skin-on-skin contact and being able to be aroused by their partner. So that's known as porn-induced erectile dysfunction and much more common than what uh, is is actually most of us are aware of. Uh, Pre-internet pornography, erectile dis- dysfunction was sitting at around about three to five percent, usually due to some sort of physiological condition, could be diabetes, heart conditions, blood pressure, uh, sometimes anxiety. But post-internet pornography era, we're seeing erectile dysfunction rates at around about 30 percent and mainly attributed to uh, that ease of access to pornography. So it's, it's really affecting quite a few young men. I remember watching an episode of Law and Order where a young boy raped a, a young girl and he said that she said no, but in the porn videos he watched, no means yes. Is is that sort of confusion common with young kids now? Well, I'd be really careful with the word common um, because I certainly don't want to paint the picture that every young person who sees pornography is going to end up raping another child. But unfortunately, the messages in pornography do often violate what our normal areas of of consensual behaviour would be with open dialogue and communication and active conversation. So... In, in pornography, certainly, and, and it doesn't really matter whether you're talking about heterosexual or, or same-sex pornography, there's usually a power imbalance and, and often no, the word no is depicted as yes, it's a go-ahead by the one who has the power. So unfortunately, that is the case. And when we know that the latest Australian research is telling us that of young people aged 15 to 29... of young men and 16% of young women are watching pornography daily or weekly. We know that these sorts of abusive messages are infiltrating their experiences. Mm, It's it's fairly difficult, like, just be on the internet looking something up and all of a sudden porn will will just appear. I mean, the pornography industry is a multi-million dollar business, isn't it? Yeah, it's a $97 billion industry. So it's, it's massive. Most pornography, though, is free. And, you know, when I went to a 
Porn Expo in Las Vegas in January this year, I was talking to one of the producers and he said that roughly uh, one in ten people who landed on their sites actually went on to be an active subscriber and pay for pornography. So yes, people still do pay for pornography. But then, you know, those who are actively on these websites often engage with the other paid services that link off the website. So there's certainly lots of income being generated through porn sites, uh, otherwise the industry wouldn't exist. So it could be said that they it's in their best interest to get young people hooked on porn very young because they know that they're their future consumers will, that will have a credit card. Are there any other campaigns in connection with kids and porn that your organisation is working on at the moment? Uh, look, our main focus in Australia is to prevent, equip, restore. So when we're looking at prevention through an increase of digital child protection buffers, we've talked about age verification, but we've, you know, we also need to be asking our internet service providers why aren't they providing more services to block pornography, either by default or, you know, at least making filters available and that's certainly not happening, restricting it on mobile phones, making porn-free public-friendly Wi-Fi spaces and creating more awareness for, for home filters and apps. So they're the sorts of things that we're looking at there. Increases in education, making more awareness or, or creating more awareness for services and for people to find services when the kids are harmed by pornography. So that's our mandate. But when we look at globally what's going on, there certainly are lots of other organisations springing up that are working with government, that are lobbying government, that are creating awareness and uh, really grassroots campaigning movement that's saying, hey, pornography is linked to a whole range of exploitation factors. It's linked to human trafficking. It's linked to broader issues of violence against women and other forms of sexual exploitation. So pornography is so widely available that we're seeing it framed as a public health crisis. So above and beyond what it's doing to children, there's certainly lots more uh, governments and organisations asking the question, what are the long-term impacts and how do we look at this through the public health model lens? So listeners' concerns about what they can do about this issue, I really encourage them to not only go to the pornharmskids.org.au website and get informed, but also consider signing our pledge. We are calling on everyday Australian citizens to say, actually, we stand for something better for our children than ease of access to online pornography. And we stand with Porn Harms Kids in this attempt to pressure not only government but tech companies to actually take some active steps. So that's one way. But also just creating awareness and sharing our updates, our news releases and our Facebook and Twitter posts and LinkedIn on social media because together there's real potential to make a big change in this space for the sake of the protection and well-being of our children and young people. Great. Well, thanks very much for coming onto the program today. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And I've been speaking to Liz Walker about how porn harms kids. 
Well, that's all we have for today. Hope you've enjoyed the program and been given lots of food for thought. And do stay tuned for Are You Looking At Me?